From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good evening. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council. Extremely honored to be filling in this evening for Tony and grateful, so very grateful to have you on board with us. We do have a tremendous program lined up for you this evening. Let me kind of run over the highlights for you. To begin with, it was indeed a chaotic scene that unfolded at the Capitol yesterday as House Democrats literally lashed out following a vote to censure California Congressman Adam Schiff. The yeas are 213 and the nays are 209, with six answering present. The resolution adopted. Without objection, the motion to consider is laid on the table. House will be in order. Absolute chaos. Well, what did that reveal about a pattern from the left where they obviously are willing to embrace lying? Congressman Nathaniel Moran and I will discuss that in just a couple of moments. Also on Capitol Hill, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi is currently, right now, addressing a joint session of Congress. And earlier this afternoon, during a joint press conference, both the president and the prime minister were asked about targeting of religious minorities in India, which has certainly been on the rise. Well, how did President Biden respond? There is an overwhelming respect for each other because we're both democracies. And uh, it's a common democratic candidate, uh, character of both our countries that and our people, our diversity, our culture, our open, tolerant, robust debate, and I believe uh, that we believe in the dignity of every citizen. Well, how does reality stack up to what President Biden says he believes about India? We'll be discussing that with Ariel Del Turco. She's the director of the Center for Religious Liberty here at the Family Research Council. And as the Family Research Council report revealed, the Biden administration is absolutely working overtime to export its pro-LGBT policies across the globe, as well as its pro-abortion agenda. Uh, but those who are dedicated to life and the family continue to resist this big-footed effort at cultural imperialism. Harim Nabi, from the Ibero-American Congress for Life and Family, will be with us a little bit later in the program to explain. And speaking of bad policies, in a decision that literally defies science as well as logic, a federal judge earlier this week struck down an Arkansas law to protect children from the permanent dangers and impacts of gender procedures. I'll be speaking with State Representative Robin Lundstrom, who is the original sponsor of that bill, on what's next in the fight to protect children in Arkansas. Also, Walt Heyer, a man who was literally rushed through these gender procedures himself when he was younger, will be joining me to discuss why it's so important for us to continue this battle. So we've got a tremendous program lined up for you today. And just a reminder, the website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can catch any portion of this show if you happen to miss it, as well as an archive of previous shows. So we encourage you to keep that website handy and utilize it as needed. All right, let's jump into this evening's program. As I've already mentioned, 
It was quite a scene yesterday in the House of Representatives. Uh, Democrats literally attempted to shut down Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy after there was a vote to censure Congressman Adam Schiff. And then they started chanting his name as if he was some sort of hero. Uh, it really was, quite frankly, shameful to watch. But with yesterday's vote, the California congressman became just the third representative to be censured in the 2000s. So uh, and, and I'm sure you recall all of this was because of the false claims that Adam Schiff made regarding President Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and all the Russian collusion, which has been confirmed to be a hoax. There were no Democrats who voted for the censure, which frankly shows that the Democratic Party now become their willing collaborators uh, with a proven liar, Adam Schiff. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Nathaniel Moran. He serves on the House Judicial uh, Judiciary Committee as well as the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Education Committee. He represents the first congressional district of the great state of Texas. Congressman Moran, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you again tonight. And thank you for continuing to address some of these very important uh, issues that we're dealing with this week. Well, listen, it's our honor to come on board with you and to fight for these and so many other critically important issues. And we're grateful there are people like you who are standing in the gap and fighting for all of us right now. So let's get to this vote yesterday. Uh, to censure Adam Schiff, his role in the, uh, he literally used his role in the intel, the Intelligence Committee, literally, purposefully, intentionally to lie to the American people. Uh, why, in your opinion, was it so important that he be censured? Well, for that very reason, it, this is not a situation where we're dealing with a member of Congress that went out and just simply exaggerated some facts or uh, took a little bit of liberty. Uh, which happens um, quite often and really, frankly, far too often on both sides of the aisle. But this is a situation where we had somebody that was in a unique position to receive very, very specific information as part of the Intelligence Committee, information that nobody else or very few of the people in Congress were privy to. And then he went out from that committee and made statements that were contrary to the very things he just learned and committee about what was going going on in that Trump investigation and what the basis for the investigation was and what facts were true and which ones were not true. So, you know, that's the astounding part. When, when you start dealing with somebody that's in a very special and unique position that has a fiduciary duty to the American people, that has uh, the ability to then persuade them about what he's hearing behind closed doors, and he comes out and blatantly lies about it, it deserves a censure. It really does. And, you know, what is equally disturbing to me, I just have to tell you, was the response of the Democrats after that censure vote. It really was chaotic. It was uh, it, it was embarrassing. It it identified in at least in my opinion, the entire Democratic Party in Congress to be collaborators with a known liar uh, describe the scene after the vote. What was it like? You were there. Yeah, it was um, unique to be there. And, and when Speaker McCarthy got off the dais, I, I took over right after that moment. So I was standing right there down in the well when it all happened. And as he tried to read that uh, censure 
uh, to Adam Schiff there in the in the middle of the the, the session, and and it was just wild to watch them cheer and and clap and and congratulate him. They leaned into it. They doubled down effectively on his behavior. Not one person on the Democratic side was willing to stand up and say, you know what, this is inappropriate behavior. I hope for the on the Republican side that if we had a person in that situation, we would not be clapping. We would not be cheering. We would be saying, you know what? We need to hold this person to account. We have a higher ethic and we must abide by it. Yeah. And across the board, historically, it seems that that is the case. We tend to do a better job at holding our own accountable, but the Democrats. So uh, what, how do you, how do you, what conclusions do you come to at looking at this temper tantrum, if you will, in response to the vote? Do did that communicate anything to you about the Democratic Party? Well, it communicated first that the ultimate goal and the ultimate justification for most of the actions on the Democratic side these days is the end. And they're going to say the means, the end justifies the means. So they're going to use any means possible to to proceed with their liberal agenda. And that's simply not the Judeo-Christian ethic. That's point number one. The second takeaway was because they were cheering and clapping and congratulating him, then that tells me they're not planning to change that behavior. Uh, If we're not going to hold people accountable for their past behavior and admit that it was wrong and turn from that, then obviously they're planning to continue that behavior. And that does not give me a great amount of confidence in the Democratic Party. We're talking with Congressman Nathaniel Moran. I think you're spot on with that. I think your answer there is extremely insightful. I believe they do show that they have absolutely no intentions whatsoever of changing their behavior if whatever behavior is going to help advance their agenda. And that is that's a that's a frightful thing. Even Congressman Schiff uh, said he has no regrets whatsoever. I think obviously this uh, is worth it to him just to raise his profile. It looks as though he's going to be running for Senate. Uh, So what's your response to him saying he has no regrets whatsoever? Well, my response to him is the same as it would be for any of my Republican colleagues in that situation. That is, like, if you're going to, if you're going to make a mistake, and we all make mistakes in this life, if you're going to, if you're going to intentionally choose the wrong path at some point when you, when you realize that, and hopefully he does realize that internally, you've got to admit that uh, publicly. You have to make uh, right those wrongs, and you have to convince yourself internally you're not going to repeat that mistake. You're not going to go down that path again. It's the sim- it's the simplistic message of grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. But a lot of that in the scripture says. Hey, you have to admit that you're wrong, and you have to turn from your wicked ways. That's where forgiveness is, and that's where recon- reconciliation is. It's waiting there for him, just like it would be for a Republican. And um, I just hope he seizes that down the road. I'm, I'm hopeful about that, but uh, quite honestly, I'm, I don't expect it. Yeah, especially when you see his entire party come up, uh, behind him and uh, double down in support of the lies that were shared. So let's go from the party we talked about him. Let's go to the American people with all of this. We now have the, the Mueller probe that came out in 2019. We now have the Durham probe this year that concluded, both of which concluded uh, there was no evidence of any collusion between Trump and the Russians, uh, n- no evidence that anything of that nature uh, ever transpired. So how are the American people supposed to have confidence in a party 
that embraces lies? Well, they shouldn't. Uh, and the, the message I would also have for the American people is hold us all accountable, uh, Republicans, Democrats alike. But at this point, I don't know how you have confidence in the direction that Democrats want to take the country because it's based on this idea of moral relativism. It's based on this idea that uh, we have to accept everyone's truth as absolute truth, and that is absolutely wrong. There is one absolute truth, and it's set forth in Scripture. And when we get away from that, we get away from the foundations that uh, of this of this universe and the natural law of God. And when we become uh, dissonant with the, the natural law of God, things go awry for our individual selves, our families, and for our nation. And that's where we're at. That's where we find ourselves. We have to return back to that foundational natural law of God. We have to be back in accordance with its principles. Absolutely, thousand percent. There is no good outcome for anyone, including the nation, when we forsake God's laws. A final question, and we've only got about 30 seconds, but uh, you're on the House Judiciary Committee uh, where Special Counsel uh, uh, John Durham testified yesterday. The Democrats attacked him for sharing the truth. What was your takeaway from that hearing yesterday? The thing that I emphasized when I asked questions of uh, Mr. Durham was the fact that this investigation did not really seek to follow any of the typical FBI procedures in any other investigation that it would have undertaken. It skipped over it, uh, procedures to interview the appropriate witnesses, to corroborate evidence, to provide exculpatory evidence to the FISA court. It didn't do any of that because it was so politically motivated. It had already determined what end it wanted to reach, and it was going to do all possible to get to that end, and that was to try to... Uh, try to throw Mr. Trump under the bus, and uh, we can't have a justice system like that. We simply cannot. Congressman Nathaniel Moran, Texas, thank you so much for standing in the gap. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great week. You too. All right, friends, stay tuned. We've got much more coming your way right after this break. Stay tuned. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be disciples 
discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Glad to have you joining us on this Thursday evening. Well, Indian Prime Minister Modi literally has just finished his speech, a joint session. And while he is in Washington uh, this evening after the address, he's going to be uh, experiencing an official state dinner with the president at the White House. The Prime Minister's visit comes at a time when human rights abuses and persecution of Christians and other religious minorities continue to increase in India. And that, of course, has many, many people concerned. The U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom has recommended that the Department of State designate India as a country of particular concern. They've been doing that since 2020. And that, of course, is for their engaging in systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Ariel Del Turco. She's the director of the Center for Religious Liberty here at the Family Research Council. Ariel, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Thank you for having me. All right, well, let's uh, go into this. There may be some of our viewers and listeners right now who may not be aware, but tell us about the persecution of Christians and other religious minorities that have been taking place in India. Yeah, India likes to bill itself as the world's largest democracy, and in a way it is, but that simple line masked a lot of the reality that many Indians face, especially religious minorities. They face a lot of discrimination, especially Christians, through uh, something called anti-conversion laws. Uh, these are laws meant to prohibit Christians from sharing their faith with others and leading other people to Christ, and even being accused of violating one of these laws can inspire mob violence against Christians. We've seen churches burned to the ground over these types of accusations. So there are a lot of issues happening in India. Uh, and this is something that the Biden administration should not be shy about addressing. Absolutely. I've seen reports literally of hundreds of churches being destroyed by fire and vandalism, all sorts of things. Uh, it's not just an isolated issue here and there. You bring up the Biden administration what do you think they need to do? What does this administration do and the State Department to uh, address this? Now is a good time to address it 
with the prime minister being here. Well, the first thing the Biden administration needs to do is stop lying to themselves and stop lying to the rest of the world about this. Uh, even the State Department's annual International Religious Freedom Report talks about these issues and reports on them every single year. And every single year, there's a plethora of terrible incidents that occur in India with law enforcement and the government doing essentially nothing to address it or worse, uh, fomenting this kind of hatred and intolerance towards Christians. We we also see it in Muslims. Uh, and Prime Minister Modi's party has been a huge part of uh, making this problem even worse. So the State Department specifically can label India a country of particular concern. This is a U.S. government designation that is uh, meant to be applied to the worst countries in the world on religious freedom. And sadly, I think India fits the bill for this. And as you mentioned in your introduction, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom also agrees that India deserves to be labeled a country of particular concern. I think this is a bold step that the Biden administration could take. However, given what happened today with President Biden and Pres Prime Minister Modi, I just don't think the Biden administration is there yet. Yeah, I don't either. You know, and it's uh, particularly, I know when I was in Congress, uh, there was an American pastor who had gone to Indian, uh, India for a mission trip. Uh, and he ended up being arrested while there. Brian Naren, I'm sure you probably remember this, uh, was there for seven months and had some very serious issues right here at his own home. And our office was heavily involved in trying to help him. But ever since then, I personally have been extremely aware and concerned of the religious persecution taking place in India. There were some Democrats today actually protested because of the persecution of Muslims in India. Uh, I, I want to play a couple of clips for you. Earlier this afternoon, both President Biden and uh, Prime Minister Modi were asked about the targeting of religious minorities in India. I want to play both of their responses and get your take uh, on each of them. First of all, let's begin with President Biden. Here's his response. There is an overwhelming respect for each other because we're both democracies. And uh, it's a common democratic candidate, uh, uh, character of both our countries that and our people, our diversity, our culture, our open, tolerant, robust debate. And I believe uh, that we believe in the dignity of every citizen. Our constitution and our government, think? we have always proved that democracy can deliver. And when I say deliver, this is regardless of caste, creed, religion, gender. There's absolutely no space for discrimination. Okay, we hit both of them back to back. Uh, first of all, let's, let's begin with the president. Uh, your thoughts. It's just embarrassing to hear President Biden say this. Uh, and we all know it's not true. Uh, the New York Times has reported very extensively about Christian persecution in India. The Washington Post has. Uh, this is in mainstream media. There is no excuse uh, for President Biden to basically get up there and be making excuses for the prime minister of India. Uh, I understand that there are strategic reasons that we would want to maintain a relationship with India. However, that doesn't have to come at the cost of lying about authoritarian leaders in other parts of the world. Well said. And the prime minister himself either is extremely ignorant of what's happening in his own country or is deliberately lying when he says there is absolutely no uh, type of persecution like this whatsoever in India. How do you respond to him? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he was even faced with this question. He notoriously dodges questions like this in his home country. Often reporters aren't even allowed to direct questions to him. So it was good to see him have to answer. However, his answer essentially says nothing. Uh, it's totally a lie, totally bluffing. Uh, it's embarrassing that the president essentially agreed and imitated the exact same talking points that he did. Uh, it's just shameful in so many ways. And I think the religious minorities who are suffering in India deserve so much better than this. Absolutely. We have so many, many, many Christian brothers and sisters in India who are facing tremendous persecution. I know you would join me in encouraging believers here to pray for and to support them in every way that we can. Ariel Del Turco, thank you so much for keeping us up to speed on this issue. And it's an honor to have you on Washington Watch this evening. Thank you. All right, friends, stay tuned. After the break, we've seen the Biden administration work to export all over the world. It's pro-abortion and pro-LGBT ideology. Uh, we've got a lot coming up about that. The Ibero-American Congress for Life and Family is helping Latin American countries resist it all. We'll bring that your way right after the break. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org slash worldview. Again, go to frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Always great to have you joining us, and we appreciate it so much. Well, the Ibero-American Congress for Life and Family gathered today at the General Assembly of the Organization of American States, OAS, as is commonly referred to, as part of their ongoing effort to promote pro-life and pro-family policies throughout Latin America. 
Well, as we know from a recent FRC report, the Biden administration continues to export its pro-abortion and pro-LGBT ideology worldwide. And there are many other cultures that are standing up against this. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Harim Nabi. He's a CFO of the Ibero-American Congress for Life and Family. Harim, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to have you. Thanks for having me, Jody. All right. Well, tell us about your organization to begin with, as well as the events that took place today. Well, um, let me tell you, it's a, it's a very uh, large movement all across uh, Latin America and also the Caribbean. And it all started back in uh, 2017. Um, and this movement has been growing. Um, we, um, we try to um, focus on family life and also liberty nowadays because we, we've been uh, receiving a lot of attacks from, from many, many different sides. So we're doing a lot of job in Latin America right now. Well, how do you describe the events that took place today? Are you pleased with the momentum that seems to be behind what you're, what you're doing? Well, uh, I think it was very good. Yeah, not many people know about the OAS, but let me tell you a little bit. It's, it's like the equivalent to the um, United Nations organization, but uh, with a very strict focus towards uh, Latin America. So um, whatever uh, pours out from, from uh, the agreements on the OAS, this is applied to all the uh, Latin American countries, uh, including the U.S. and Canada. So it's a very important organization where we need to uh, speak out and uh, let our message go through, you know. So uh, what happened today? Well, uh, especially yesterday. Yesterday uh, we had five spokespeople with a very clear message, a pro-life message, pro-family, and also pro-liberty. That's awesome. Well, you know, there's so many of us who are encouraged with what you are doing, and we are at the same time discouraged with what's happening with our own administration pushing all sorts of immorality all across the uh, the globe. And in fact, FRC recently published a report on this very thing, how the Biden administration is pushing LGBT ideology and pushing their agenda all over the world. How are you seeing the effects of the Biden administration's efforts to push this ideology, hmm. what are you seeing uh, across uh, the countries that you deal with specifically? Yeah, let me tell you uh, something very personal. Uh, I work for this organization as a volunteer. And why? I'm a parent of four kids, okay? So I'm really concerned of, of what's going on in my country. Um, this is like a dictatorship that's trying to be imposed in our um, uh, in our schools, you know, uh, uh, our pastors are also being affected by laws. Uh, it, 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 this is spreading out like a very bad disease in our countries. So um, I, I don't want to I don't, I don't want to stand quiet, you know, before all this that it's happening. So I I, I want to raise my voice. That that's why I I decided to take this challenge and speak out for especially and, and my 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 main inspiration are my kids you know so um 
we are really suffering uh, a lot of effects of, of what uh, what's going on in the U.S. You know, um, some people say that that when, when you guys uh, have like a, a very simple flu, we have like a very severe you no know, um, effects. So. Um, we we really do have a lot of problems in our Congress with our uh, with our Supreme Court also because they're 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 just doing a lot of uh, creating a lot of laws you know that are affecting us negatively. Well, when you say it's like a dictatorship, probably some viewers or listeners are saying oh, that's a strong uh, word, but but listen, it's it's really not. It, it fits in the regard that. Uh, there are so many countries that are dependent upon U.S. foreign aid, and yet they are held captive by this administration to receive that foreign aid unless they accept and embrace abortion policies or LGBT policies and this type of thing. Isn't that really where the rubber hits the road with so many of these countries? They're kind of forced into it. That's true. That's true. Uh, unfortunately, our our countries uh, really end up in a uh, in a closed road when it, uh, it comes to money, when it comes to finances. So yes, you're you're right about that. Totally right. And we become like hostages, no, of this situation where uh, your your country is conditioned. You know, you sh you have to create these laws, otherwise you're not getting my my uh, financial aid. That's true. Well, well, Harim Nabi, I just want to thank you so much for the incredible work that you do, uh, the Ibero-American Congress for Life and Family, your leadership there, <laughs> and just say that we appreciate you, your work. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. You know, tonight. if you allow me to add something real quick. Uh, real quickly, yes, 10 yesterday, seconds. Yesterday, uh, we were five, what, five speakers. And the LGBT group just had to leave because the message was so strong. We got to leave it there. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Friends, stay tuned and keep praying for this. Very important. We'll be straight right back right after this message. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. 
You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in for Tony this evening. And great to have you on board with us. All right, let me, let me first of all just uh, take a, a moment of personal privilege as I can. As most of you know, for 40 years now, Family Research Council's mission has been to champion biblical truth in the public square uh, and to try to influence both policy as well as our culture. And as we approach now the end of our fiscal year, our fiscal year here at FRC uh, begins July 1st, so it ends here at the end of June. And as we come to the end of this year, I just would ask you to please prayerfully consider partnering with us as we are trying to rebuild America's spiritual foundations of faith, of family, of freedom. And we would love for you to come on board and partner with FRC during this critical time in our nation. And to, uh, if you do so, we'd love to send you a digital copy of Tony's new study guide, Nehemiah, Rebuilding a Nation. So for any gift of $7 or more, we'll send that to you. And we have members who are literally standing by uh, to take your call even right now. So we encourage you. This is our country. We're all in this together. And we would love to partner with you to make a difference. You can call 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or you can text the word GIVE to 67742. And we would appreciate it And in advance. Let me say thank you for joining us in this effort through the power of God and us working together. We will help rebuild the walls of our nation. So thank you for joining us. All right. It was a sad day for children in Arkansas uh, this week. An activist judge there chose the agenda of the radical transgender movement over science. The judge struck down the SAFE Act in Arkansas. That is a bill that would protect children from the dangers of experimental gender procedures, including 
sterilization and mutilation. Well, the left calls all of this gender-affirming care, but we know that it has nothing to do with being healthy, nor does it have anything to do with affirming these children. Uh, when you're talking about surgical uh, castration of children, this is, it's just horrifying. This is not health care. Well, joining me now by phone to discuss this is the sponsor and the champion of the Arkansas SAFE Act, Arkansas State Representative Robin Lundstrom. She represents the 87th District of Arkansas. Representative Lundstrom, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for being on with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It was a sad day in Arkansas, but I'm just glad we've got to this point. We we kind of knew this was coming, and so I'm glad he didn't drag it out any longer. And now off to the Eighth Circuit we go, and our Attorney General has already announced that he is going to appeal. And I think we'll have a much better chance. I hope the judges in the Eighth Circuit, I kind of feel like they'll look at the science and the facts and not stick their finger up in the political wind and decide to go with woke um, liberal agenda and look at what's best for children. And castrating children is not what's best. Absolutely. And it is this very type of judicial activism that just concerns the people all across this country as well it should as to the uh, the, the manner in which our judicial branch is becoming politicized. Uh, so you were in much of the courtroom, in the courtroom while much of the trial was underway. Tell us what that was like. Actually, I was not in the courtroom. That was one of the concerns that um, the attorneys had was putting me on the stand would make it even more political. They wanted to simply focus on having doctors on the stands and people that had transitioned and detransitioned on the stands. And they really tried to, to steer it away from politics and put science on the stand. And it still did not get through the political melees of the agenda. And that's really sad. And even in his 80-page um, comments, it still comes across, and it rings very hollow, and it's very sad. So we'll Absolutely. just move forward. Um, it's one person's opinion. The whole state and these children rested in one person's opinion. He was an Obama appointee, so I had no illusions. I'm, I am so hopeful, though, that we can move forward, and I'm thankful that we have a process to appeal. And so there's no looking back. There's only looking forward. Well, that's a, that's a great way of looking about it, and I apologize. I, my assumption was that you were in the room, so thank you for clearing that for me. You mentioned a while ago your attorney general, uh, Tim Griffin, making the appeal uh, on this decision. Uh, has that appeal already taken place? What's the process there? No, the appeal hasn't taken place yet. Um, it will probably be filed and hopefully in the next few weeks. Um, my process, as far as the court case, one of the interesting things, the ACLU did depose me. I was deposed for six hours and 42 minutes. So um, they had their shot at me, and they still didn't choose to put me on the stand. So, again, we, we kept focusing on the science, and that was not where they wanted to go. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> You know, and they're coming from a party that loves to tout science when they when they want to, but they don't want any part of it when it goes against their yeah. radical agenda. You you have spoken. Let me let me put this way. I assume you've spoken with uh, people who have uh, been a part of this ideology and now regret it. Uh, 
uh, for the procedures okay. they've had. Uh, what what is uh, what, what kind of uh, stories are are out there from people who have been down this path and now regret it? I have met so many people who have transitioned and detransitioned, and I have met a number of people from the political left who have quietly supported me, and I have appreciated that. And they're starting to come out and say, wait a second, this is harmful to children. Even though we know you're a Christian, we know you're a Republican, we want to stand with you. And I have appreciated that so much. And they've appreciated the fact that I'm willing to reach across the aisle and lock arms with them. So it's starting to to dig deep, and people are starting to look at this and say, wait a second. Children are more important than politics. This is harming children. We don't want our children harmed. And people that have transitioned and are in their 30s and 40s and 50s are saying, wait a second, this didn't work out like I thought. Please don't do this to children. Don't stop. Don't stop. And I appreciate their willing to stand up, and I appreciate the fact that they're willing to at least reach out to me. Some of them don't want to say anything. They're afraid of being bullied, and I understand that. Well, Arkansas State Representative Robin Lundstrom, thank you so much for uh, putting this bill forward and for uh, continuing the the uh, pathway of hope uh, that this is going to continue and for not uh, throwing up a white flag. We're deeply grateful for you, and thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Well, I can't thank Re- Family Research Council. You are such an amazing organization. When we needed help, we called Family Research Council, and Family Research Council came to our aid and were a part of the bill process and have been there ever since. So I couldn't have done it without y'all. That's awesome. Thank you for those kind words. God bless you. Keep the torch ablaze. All right, friends, as we continue this conversation on protecting children from the uh, permanent damages of gender procedures, I'm honored to be joined now by Walt Heyer. He's a speaker and author uh, and the publisher of SexChangeRegret.com, where he raises public awareness about the incidence of regret and the tragic consequences that he suffered as a result of unnecessary uh, sex change surgery. Walt, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Well, listen, uh, you're a perfect segue as to what we just heard from Representative Lundstrom, you've shared that uh, the the childhood trauma uh, that motivated much of your impulse to uh, publicly present as a woman. Uh, Can you just take us a little bit further into that? Our uh, viewers and listeners elaborate on on that story for us a little more. Yeah, my story is really like the same as all the kids that we're seeing today. Uh, You know, I was affirmed by my grandmother. She made me a purple dress when I was four years old. And... um, and told me how cute I was and, and did that affirming, so affirming care, right? Uh, what it really turns out to be is psychological and emotional child abuse to put a young boy in a dress or tell him uh, that he can be a girl. And, you know, you only learn this. I'm 82 years old, so I started in 1944 on this journey. And uh, I can tell you, the listeners, that just cross-dressing a boy has a profound effect on their psyche and the rest of their life. If that wasn't true, I wouldn't be talking about this at age 82 when it started for me at four. My website, Sex Change Regret, I have a lot of young people who write me from 10 years old uh, to 19, 20, 21 years old uh, who got caught up in this stuff. And what we find is that 
uh, all of them that I've worked with that have contacted me have suffered from adverse childhood experiences. The term is called ACEs, and they suffered uh, because their parents got divorced or there was a parent who was incarcerated or they were passed around from foster home to foster home, and they were traumatized by their childhood. And the fact of the matter is, I was traumatized by my childhood. The issue, the bottom line issue is not one of these children needs hormone blockers, surgery, or anything else. They need trauma therapy. I needed trauma therapy. We need to identify what caused these young people to not like who they are. That's a question I always ask in the people that I work with. I've worked with thousands of them. And so once they can tell you, well, uh, you know, something happened to me. I was sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused. Emotional abuse is cross-dressing a boy or telling a girl she can become a man. Uh, those are really uh, deep-seated abuses. Some of the worst things you can do is tell somebody that you can change their gender. Uh, Dr. Biber, who performed 4,000 of these surgeries in California, well, actually in Colorado, testified in a California court that hormones in surgery are ineffective in changing anyone's gender. The fact of the matter is no one in world history has ever had their gender changed. The only thing we're doing is feminizing boys and masculinizing girls. Nobody's ever changed their gender. We're using these terminologies like transition when nobody's ever transitioned. The fact of them, I always say when I speak, there are no transgenders. Excellent point. And that really is the message. You can't undo what you were born to be. I mean, it really is that simple. And yet to use the term, because it is the term that is uh, accepted, recognized, that, that people understand, and yet yourself and there are others who have detransitioned, uh, and you've shared how the medical industry literally rushed you through this whole process, the diagnosis part of it, as well as the procedures themselves, at the end of the day, is not that the exact opposite that should be taking place who are uh, among people who are uh, confused uh, regarding their gender? Now, absolutely. And, and let me say this, too. I think it's important to understand that every one of these individuals I've worked with, when you boil down to what they're struggling with, it's not about their gender. It's purely about who they are and how they've been traumatized, and it's about their identity. It really isn't about their gender. So if you take the word gender out of this process and you begin to work with people like I do and you and they come to me with regret and they actually tell me, I didn't have gender dysphoria, they say. I was sexually abused. I was most something happened. And if we had our people in these clinics today really doing gender-affirming care, when someone came in saying they had gender dysphoria, they would say, well, what happened to cause you to not like who you are? And if they told them that they were sexually abused, emotionally abused, or they were traumatized, they would be excluded as a person who could get hormones or surgery because they're not, they're not fit to go through this process until such time as they've had good psychotherapy and resolved the traumatic experience of their childhood. And what we find is once they do resolve those early childhood traumas, they don't want to change their identity. They're perfectly happy with who they are. So there's a real lesson to be learned here. The, the clinics now are just fast-tracking everybody to hormones and surgery and not dealing with the underlying comorbidities that would prevent these children 
from uh, doing these procedures. And like I say, the hormone blockers are devastating. And what we're doing is destroying an entire generation of children with this insane nonsense of hormone blockers and hormones. We got to stop it. People need to stand up. And the governor in Arkansas did the right thing. No child should be going through these procedures, and we need to protect them. All right, so how do we, the Christian community, show love and compassion for someone, especially a child or young person, who may be suffering from this type of confusion, uh, be it gender or identity, however we want to term it? And I deeply appreciate the the distinction you make between uh, the two. But how do we need to be showing love and compassion to these people effectively? Well, you know. Compassion is a real simple thing. It's being a good listener. Uh, sit down like I did with an 11 or 12-year-old girl and, and say, what happened that caused you to not like who you are? It's a simple question. It's not going to uh, cause them any discomfort. And, and you begin to probe into their life and ask them what happened. And over a period of time, if they feel safe with you, they'll tell you that something did happen. I've had parents... Uh, suggest that they do this and they find out from the child that they were sexually abused by someone that they never knew about or they were physically abused they were emotionally there we can love on them by asking them what happened that caused them to feel like they weren't worthy of being who they are and that's what we need to do and we need to uphold that and keep them gender affirming care is loving on the people they are and not giving them hormones and surgery that's gender affirming care Walt Heyer, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch and deep gratitude and thanks to you for taking your experiences and using it to help others. We're deeply grateful. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, friends, that wraps it up for this edition of Washington Watch. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow, so we look forward to having you then. Have a great evening. We'll see you next time on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.